The Old Testament reading for the 14th Sunday after Pentecost comes from the book of Jeremiah, chapter 15, verses 15 through 21. O Lord, you know. Remember me and visit me, and take vengeance for me on my persecutors. In your forbearance, take me not away. Know that for your sake I bear reproach. Your words were found, and I ate them. And your words became to me a joy and the delight of my heart. For I am called by your name, O Lord, God of hosts. I did not sit in the company of revelers, nor did I rejoice. I sat alone, because your hand was upon me, for you had filled me with indignation. Why is my pain unceasing, my wound uncurable, refusing to be healed? Will you be to me like a deceitful brook, like waters that fail? Therefore, thus says the Lord, If you return, I will restore you, and you shall stand before me. If you utter what is precious and not what is worthless, you shall be as my mouth. They shall turn to you, but you shall not turn to them. And I will make you to this people a fortified wall of bronze. They will fight against you, but they shall not prevail over you. For I am with you to save you and deliver you, declares the Lord. I will deliver you out of the hand of the wicked and redeem you from the grasp of the ruthless. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. The epistle reading comes from Romans chapter 12, 9 through 21. Let love be genuine. Abhor what is evil. Hold fast to what is good. Love one another with brotherly affection. Outdo one another in showing honor. Do not be slothful in zeal. Be fervent in spirit. Serve the Lord. Rejoice in hope. Be patient in tribulation. Be constant in prayer. Contribute to the needs of the saints and seek to show hospitality. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse them. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Weep with those who weep. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be haughty, but associate with the lowly. Never be conceited. Repay no one evil for evil, but give thought to do what is honorable in the sight of all. If possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. Beloved, never avenge yourself, but leave it to the wrath of God. For it is written, Vengeance is mine. I will repay, says the Lord. To the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. For by so doing, you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. The Holy Gospel according to St. Matthew, the 16th chapter. From that time, Jesus began to show his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things from the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed and on the third day be raised. And Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him, saying, Far be it from you, Lord. This shall never happen to you. 
But he turned and said to Peter, Get behind me, Satan. You are a hindrance to me, for you are not setting your mind on the things of God, but on the things of man. Then Jesus told his disciples, If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. For what will it profit a man if he gains the whole world and forfeits his life? Or what shall a man give in return for his life? For the Son of Man is going to come with his angels in the glory of his Father, and then he will repay each person according to what he has done. Truly I say to you, there are some standing here who will not taste death until they see the Son of Man coming in his kingdom. This is the Gospel of the Lord. Maybe seated. Grace, mercy, and peace be to you from God our Father and from our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Amen. The text for the sermon today is from our Romans reading from Paul's letter there, chapter 12. And in confirmation class, we learned about the three uses of the law. And probably you remember what those three uh, ways that we look at the law, what, how those, uh, the, the law acts upon us. Probably remember those. The first is the curb. And the curb is uh, like that curb at the side of the road that keeps the car on the street. That's what the, the law can do. It's, it draws a line. It says you can go this far and no farther. Do not lie. Do not steal. Do not murder. The second use of the law, if you remember, is that of the mirror. The law of God acts as a standard of holiness for us. Have no other gods. Do not bear false witness against your fellow man. Don't covet anything that your neighbor has. Honor your father and your mother. And this mirror, when we look into it, uh, shows us our own sin. It shows the reflection of us. Uh, God's law says don't do this, and we see that we have done that. So it shows us our sin. It reveals our blemishes. It reflects the truth of our sinfulness. We see that we have failed to obey God's law, that we have not satisfied His demands. We've not always, of course, honored our parents. We see what someone else has and we want it. We covet. We don't always seek the good of our neighbor. And so the law condemns. And we see how far from God's holiness, from how far from His design for us, we really are. And then, of course, we're led to confess our sin to God Almighty, to our Father in Heaven. And for the sake of Christ who has borne our sin and paid our debt, God freely and forgives us, joyfully forgives us everything. The third use of the law is uh, the way the law acts to guide the Christian in ways of holy living. You've become a Christian, now what? 
The Apostle Paul speaks very candidly of his own struggle with sin. That sin that still dwells in him, that still dwells in each one of us. He says, I don't do the good that I know I should do, but I find myself instead giving in to sin. One day when Christ returns, when we are resurrected, when our bodies are raised imperishable, incorruptible, when we are in heaven for eternity, we won't have to worry about sin because it won't be part of us. We will naturally live God's law. That will be our go-to. But until that time, it's going to be tough for us. And in our epistle reading today, Paul's words act as that guide for the Christian, encouraging us in our Christian life. And he writes to Christians who live in Rome 2,000 years ago, but he writes to us today just as well. He says, Outdo one another in showing honor. Bless those who persecute you. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be haughty. Never be conceited. Repay no one evil for evil. Live peaceably with all. Never avenge yourself. If your enemy is hungry or thirsty, give him food and drink. And what Paul does there too is, as he's writing these things, is prove to us that this is very unnatural for us. We look at those things and we drift back to that second use and we see that mirror and we see that we have not fulfilled these commandments. These are not sentiments that naturally resonate with us. They're not our first response when someone accuses us or wrongs us in some way or, or when someone even just disagrees with us. It's just not our nature to bless them, to live in harmony with them, not to be conceited, etc. It's not that we don't recognize that we should be doing those things. By the grace of God, by the Spirit within you, by that new Adam in you, you recognize that these are good things and that this is the way we ought to act. It's just that it's not natural to our old Adam. In fact, it's absolutely the opposite of the way that our human nature would react. We know why that is. We know that our human nature, our flesh, is fallen, is corrupted by sin. And God is working in us. God forgives us. Christ has died. God is working in us. He is sanctifying us by the Holy Spirit. But it is a process and it will not be complete until that resurrection day. And so here in Paul's letter, God instructs the Christian in what life in the Spirit looks like, how the children of God are to act, how we are to work to overcome evil, even our own evil natures with good. What does it mean to love one another with brotherly affection? Well, as brothers and sisters in Christ, we are family. We are united with Christ, united with one another in the Christian faith. And so we treat each other like brothers and sisters. This is the way it should be.
How does that love manifest itself? How does the Christian live? What does it mean that we, as the church, are salt and light to the world? Well, Paul says, outdo one another in showing honor. And the Greek word there for outdo means to get out ahead of it. Uh, be the first. Start the process. Lead the way. Outdo one another in honoring one another, in showing deference to one another. Don't wait for the other one to do it. Be the first to do it. And to do that, I think we first have to humble ourselves uh, and not be looking for others to honor us. Boy, that's hard, isn't it? Hard for us, hard for me. How many times have we pouted or even become angry or held a grudge when somebody doesn't honor us the way that we think they should? Bless those who persecute you. Now we talk about persecution. We talk about persecution for the faith, for our Christian beliefs. And that certainly can be happening to us or may happen in the future. But I think that this uh, bless those who persecute you probably goes beyond just persecution for the faith. Certainly that's there, but there are cases where um, maybe somebody isn't going to speak well of us or something. Uh, maybe somebody uh, cuts in front of us in line or, or uh, doesn't seem to um, care about us in something that they do. Uh, there are lots of ways that we might feel wronged, persecuted. And what God's Word says, what Paul writes is, bless those people. Don't curse them, bless them. And maybe you feel, feel a little squirmy, you know, thinking about all this uh, because it's law coming at us. And we can certainly see all the uses of the law happening here, but we're talking about it in this one sense of third use of the law, how a Christian is to live, what God would have you do, how he would have you act, us act. Blessing people for wronging us is certainly not our go-to. Rather, our minds probably, and I'm going by my mind, so I, I imagine your mind is the same way, maybe it isn't. My mind tends to go straight to judgment of them. I judge their motives, I judge their actions, I judge uh, why they want to do this, what's really happening here. And then of course I say they're wrong, you know, they shouldn't be doing that, and I start uh, acting in God's place. Right? And, and saying, this is the way that they are acting and they shouldn't act that way. And I kind of ignore all the ways that I act and how I should be acting. I put myself up. I ra I'm not being humble, but I'm being haughty and conceited. Maybe without even thinking about it. Just because that's the, the flesh, that's the flesh's go-to. It's where the flesh lives. And so we end up acting in God's place. But God here says, vengeance is mine. Right? Don't take vengeance. Vengeance is mine, says the Lord. And so the sin in me stands out as I 
claim the right to judge the motivations and actions of others. I think I know what's true, what's right, what's fair, what's just. I hold people to a high standard because I believe, wrongly, that I hold myself to a high standard. Without saying it, I kind of say, I wish they would act like I act, something like that. And we see just how far Paul's admonition to the Christian goes, where he says, if your enemy is hungry or thirsty, give him food and drink. And we say, well, seriously? <laughs> Our enemy? The one that, that hates us, the one that wants to harm us, that, that wants to wrong us, that does wrong us over and over again? I'm supposed to do good to them? How are they ever going to change their ways? Soon after World War II ended, in 1948 Romania, the communists have just come to power. And of course, communism is atheist. And in 1948, a Lutheran pastor named Richard Wormbrand was kidnapped by this communist government because of his proclamation of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And they wanted him to reject his faith, and maybe they had some success with some Christians in that respect, but not with Pastor Warmbrand. He would not reject his faith, and so as, as a result, he spent the next 14 years in a prison, being tortured. And yet it was during these years that Pastor Warmbrand would say that his faith, though it was severely tested, grew stronger by God's grace. And what happened with him, to him, in prison was nothing short of amazing. Wormbrand writes that he came to pity his prison guard's life, position, his dark world. Wormbrand's first three years were spent in solitary confinement in a cell that was 12 feet underground with no windows in it. Even the prison guards would wear uh, felt shoes so that the prisoners would never hear a sound. And kneeling on the concrete prison floor, Wormbrand prayed to his Heavenly Father. And the prison guard was all too eager to remind him that praying was against the rules. And so Richard was dragged out of his cell. He was beaten, particularly on the soles of his feet. After that, he was put back in his cell. And the prison guard crept up to the door and looked through the peephole and saw Pastor Wormbrand on his knees praying again. And so he dragged him out of his cell once more and beat him severely. And this happened a third time and then a fourth time. And finally, in total frustration, the prison guard yelled, what is wrong with you? You have nothing. What are you praying for? And Wormbrand responded, I am praying for you. Communism had stripped the prison guard of all humanity. And Richard Wormbrand, as a child of God, knew that only God's love could restore him.
That's loving your enemy. Where do you get that kind of fortitude? Well, I can tell you it's not in my sinful nature. That's not where I'm going to find it. It's in the Spirit, the power of God that changes us, changes our flesh, gives birth to that new Adam. And so Paul writes, Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. And the plan to overcome evil with good, of course, didn't originate with us. It originated with God. When he faced the problem of evil, the ruinous results of sin, God didn't send judgment and destruction. He sent his Son. And Christ didn't come to bring condemnation. He came to bring holiness, righteousness. He lived a life of holy obedience. He was kind and good. He was not haughty and conceited. He rejoiced with those who rejoiced. He wept with those who wept. He associated with the lowly. He did not repay the evil done to him with evil, but with good. He even prayed that his father would forgive those who were crucifying him. He died at the hands of evil men to redeem evil men from their sins. He answered hate with love. He answered sin with righteousness. He came face to face with pure evil, and he conquered it with pure good. He paid our debt. He paid our penalty. And he called us to freedom, to everlasting life with him through baptism, through the Lord's Supper, through absolution and grace. And now he calls us as his brothers and sisters to live together as those redeemed by him. And he wants us to face this fallen world as he did, with holiness and compassion, with patience, with humility, with love. Certainly not the easiest way to do things. And it required Jesus to go to the cross. It well may require us, like Pastor Wormbrand, to take up a cross, to suffer, to follow him. The Lord doesn't want us to be surprised by it. He doesn't want us to have any illusions about it. He doesn't want us to give up in the face of the evil that we might encounter, but rather to overcome that evil with good, just as he did. And he's given us gifts, he's given us blessings to help us to endure, to stand firm. There's the Lord's Supper, the regular refreshing by the body and blood of Christ himself, given into our mouths to strengthen our faith, to forgive our sins, to connect us with the Lord personally and with each other. He's given us absolution to remind us that the, the war against sin has been won, that forgiveness is ours freely by a gift of His grace. All that we fail to do has already been done by Christ. 
so that we can stand with Him, stand behind Him, fully absolved, face whatever might come, knowing that our endurance doesn't depend on us alone. It certainly doesn't depend on our flesh, but it depends on Christ. And that assures us that we will never be alone. He'll be holding us tightly through all of it. And he's given us one another. He's given us the church, our brothers and sisters in Christ to comfort us, to encourage us, to support us along the way, support us in that struggle as we struggle together. And we've been given the Holy Spirit, the comforter from heaven, to dwell in us, to lead us, to guide our thoughts and our actions and our works. And we have the Holy Scriptures, the very Word of God. And while everything else around us changes, and it seems more, at more and more a, a dizzying pace, the Word of God stands firm, stands unchanged. The promises of God, His grace, His mercy, they are new every morning. So we have the plan of God for our lives uh, in this reading today. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. It's one of those plans that doesn't make sense to our flesh, except through Christ and His grace and blessing. It's very contrary to our nature, contrary to a human way of thinking, and frankly, it's way beyond our ability to carry it out. The power for us to do this, of course, is not ourselves. It's His power. And so we give Him our thanks and praise today, even as our spirits cry out, Come, Lord Jesus, and strengthen us by Your Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name, Amen.